This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sounded more like they're shooting up in the air. Gunfire at a suspected Airbnb in Surrey. Why neighbors say this party house has gone too far. Plus. That should follow the rules. That's crazy. Driving in a bike lane. It's happened again. A taxi caught on camera driving in a bike lane on a bridge. And it's an insult to the people of Vancouver. Twelve years after the province sold a lot to a developer for social housing, it remains vacant. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Police detained as many as 30 people and seized their vehicles after reports of more than a dozen shots fired at a Surrey house party last night. As Paul Johnson reports, neighbors are fed up with what may be a habitual Airbnb party rental. Checking out the mess of the morning after. Surrey's Sean Tucker has had enough of the house next door. They just seem to party all the time. And neighbors say it's been going on every weekend for months. But Friday night, it crossed the line from nuisance to downright menace. I think it was about 20 after 12. Um, I heard the first three gunshots go off and ran inside to be safe. Three separate bursts of gunfire, Tucker says he heard. Police confirm when they got there, they found multiple shell casings and a lot of people to question. We have 30 people uh, detained at this particular time, and we're going to process each one of them. Astonishingly, no one was hit. But the backstory of this party pad is a tale of our networked society. Neighbors say for months they've seen the house advertised on Airbnb. They suspect as a standalone weekend party rental. If so, it's not the first time something like this has happened. Airbnb has started cracking down on party houses after five were killed at a Halloween party in California. And a shooting at an Airbnb rental in Toronto recently is expected to test whether legal liability extends to the owners or even to Airbnb itself. We know these cases are new because people are renting out venues. Uh, they're hosting parties. They're profiting. They're making money off it. So it's new territory for the business model. Who's responsible when thugs crash your Airbnb side hustle? Easy profits that may leave neighbors and the police quite unhappy. Quite frankly, I think the community, uh, the citizens of Surrey, are sick and tired of this type of behavior. And uh, we're taking it very, very seriously. And we're going to get to the bottom of it. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. Police say excessive speed was likely a factor in a fatal crash along the Vancouver-Burnaby border. At about 6 o'clock this morning, Vancouver police say a vehicle heading south on Boundary Road became airborne over the center median near Marine Drive and collided with a vehicle coming the other way. A 40-year-old man was pronounced dead at the scene. The driver of the other car was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. This is Vancouver's 13th motor vehicle fatality of the year. 
Little more than two months after a Surrey cab driver was caught in a Vancouver bike lane, it's happened again. This time, a Bonnie's taxi was captured on camera on the Camby Bridge doing the same thing. As Kristen Robinson reports, it's not helping the industry's argument that cabs are safer than ride hailing. What? <laughs> Sorry, what? In the middle of Friday evening traffic, a southbound cab captured driving behind a cyclist in the Camby Bridge bike lane. I mean, I've seen taxis, you know, run red lights and, you know, kind of do other dangerous maneuvers, but this is definitely a first. Yes. The driver whose vehicle recorded this dash cam doesn't want to be identified, but says the Bonnie's taxi was carrying a fare in the back seat. That's not safe. He should lose his license for that. Or, you know, he should be allowed to drive a cab for sure. Oh, hi there. It's Global TV News call here. Uh, can we come in and talk to your uh, supervisor? The Surrey cabbie who cruised down a Vancouver bike lane in September, still driving. Sir Del Kennedy Taxi says their fairly new driver from Saskatchewan was suspended for 30 days and is now on six months probation. Any violations and he'll be fired. This is the second incident in almost three months. The ride-sharing now for BC Coalition says these close calls question the government's claim that Class 4 licensing for ride-hailing drivers will give people extra security. (laughs) And the minister says it's it's safer. Well, that guy was driving down there, he's got a Class 4 license, and I don't know where he's coming from, but that's just ridiculous. If they can't follow the rules, then, you know, why why the regulations begin with? What's he going to do here? <laughs> Vancouver police are investigating. Bonnie's taxi says the cabbie's driving privileges have been suspended pending a full investigation by management. Not good. People who you're paying to take you places should probably take you there safely. <laughs> On the right part of the road. It's unclear how the taxi exited the Camby Bridge bike lane as that section narrows, but there are flexible pylons at the choke point normally used to separate cyclists from vehicle traffic. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A candlelight vigil in Surrey tonight for a young woman who was the victim of an apparent murder-suicide last week. Nadia Stewart is at Holland Park, where people have gathered to pay tribute to the 21-year-old international student. Nadia. Colleen, about four dozen people have gathered here this evening to remember Prableen Mathru. They're talking about some of the issues surrounding international students, and they're just expressing their grief over what happened to her. Prableen Mathru was found dead inside a Surrey home last Friday, November 22nd. I had said the body of an 18-year-old man from the Lower Mainland was also found dead inside the home. Police say 21-year-old Mathru was the victim of a homicide, and they are not looking for any other suspects, leading many to believe this was an apparent murder-suicide. The young woman from India came to Canada as an international student, studying at Langara College and working at Sephora. Her parents back home are devastated at the news. Those here are calling on the community to join together so something like this doesn't happen again. It's, it's hard because someone's daughter died, right? And and parents who spent so much money and she, she came here with a lot of you know, uh, aspirations, and which which makes me sad that she couldn't fulfill her aspirations. Her being a former international student, I just, you know, I just wish somebody could have reached out to her earlier to see what the problem was and you know why this incident took place. 
There are lots of questions uh, from the folks here, Colleen. Many still wanting to know exactly what happened in this case. No updates yet from police on that. Back to you. All right, Nadia, thank you so much. A homeless man has been identified as the victim of a suspicious death in Kamloops. The body of 66-year-old David Boltwood was discovered Friday morning wrapped in a rug near a dumpster in the alley behind Carson Crescent. Police believe the body was left there last Sunday evening, but it's unclear if foul play was involved. Boltwood had no fixed address, but frequented the north shore of Kamloops and often used a wheelchair. His last contact with RCMP was on Monday, November 4th. Anyone who knows where Boltwood had been staying between then and Friday is asked to contact police. More than a decade ago, the province sold a piece of prime Vancouver real estate to a developer with the promise that a good chunk of it would be turned into social housing. But little of that has happened. As Jill Bennett reports, a group led by a former NDP MLA is now urging the province to take the little mountain land back. It's the latest call for all levels of government to do something about the six hectares of prime land in Vancouver that used to be the home of Little Mountain Housing. It's time to take back this uh, land that was privatized into public hands and build the kind of homes that people need. Little Mountain was the first social housing project in Vancouver, built in the 50s to house war veterans. The land was sold from the province to Holborn Properties in 2008, with an agreement 224 units of social housing would be maintained as part of the redevelopment. Why there is still nothing here is a mystery to many. I mean, I think there's an unacceptable level of secrecy. Uh, the agreement uh, from between the province and, and the purchaser, Holborn, has never really been made public after a decade. Uh, of empty fallow lands here in the midst of I think the worst housing crisis in Canadian history um, that, that's not acceptable. The buildings on the site were torn down in 2009 with a promise to the residents living there they could return within a couple of years. Some are still waiting. They didn't just demolish the buildings, they destroyed a good thriving community. You know, with people being told that it could be back by the summer of 2010. Back the mountain! Take back the mountain! Those fighting for the land to be expropriated and to have even more social and below-market rental housing built here have started a petition and a campaign called Take Back the Mountain. We need to get, unveil the secrecy. That's the first thing. And the second is the city and the province have to sit down and try and make that work. In a statement, B.C.'s housing minister, Selena Robinson, called it disgraceful. The B.C. Liberals gave away control of a valuable site like Little Mountain, but she didn't offer any specifics on what might happen to the site in the future. On the Holborn website, there are several pictures showcasing the now 12-year-old deal. As for when there could be actual shovels in the ground, though, the only timeline given is coming soon. Jill Bennett, Global News. Of course, affordable housing isn't just a Metro Vancouver problem. Kelowna has a homelessness issue, too, but the city council there is dealing with it in a way that's surprising a lot of people. It has turned part of a beloved downtown park into a homeless camp. And as Jules Knox reports, not everyone thinks it's a good idea. Who believes that the Poplar Point location is unsuitable for people to camp? Taking back Knox Mountain. That seems to me like something we can all agree on. That's the goal of dozens of Kelowna's North End residents. So it's a ill-conceived location. Locals still reeling from the city's sudden decision on Tuesday to move the growing homeless encampment on Leon Avenue to the North End. There comes a point where a normal tax-paying person 
deserves to have a safe neighborhood and deserves to say, it's enough. I'm not going to be politically correct anymore. I want to be safe in my neighborhood. Those living on the streets given a choice. Camp at Recreation Park, which is where most people went, or at the base of Knox Mountain, a place extremely popular with hikers, mountain bikers, and tourists. The latter option, hugely criticized as poorly thought out. It's unsuitable. The fact is, you can't put a tent up there. It's going to blow down. It's extremely windy and it's cold. And quite frankly, it seems like more of optics on the part of the city. We know that nobody to date has utilized that park. No one is going to stay there. So some residents have started a petition calling for the Knox Mountain site to be decommissioned as a homeless encampment. This is quite simple. We just want our mountain left the way it is because it's beautiful and so many different areas get developed and in this case, we still have that jewel. Let's keep it. Residents are hoping to present the petition to council in the coming weeks. The city could not be reached for an interview on Saturday, but it has said that it is working hard to find a temporary winter shelter and it hopes to have a solution it can share very soon. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A BC seaplane company is set to make history next month as it tests the world's first fully electric commercial aircraft. Weather permitting, on December 11th, Harbour Air will test the de Havilland Beaver retrofitted with a Magnix electric motor. The company announced its transition to electric flights last spring, refitting its planes with 750 horsepower propulsion systems. Uh, Harbour Air hopes to be able to roll out the electric seaplanes for commercial use in about two years. A frightening warning from Department of Fisheries scientists. A new report suggests the Big Bar landslide on the Fraser River could lead to the end of several B.C. salmon runs. Despite extensive efforts to mitigate the damage, experts say much more needs to be done to save the sockeye and chinook. Julia Foy has the details. This is very alarming, uh, this whole state of affairs with this big bar slide. Fraser Valley Salmon Society President Dean Work is shaken over new details released by Fisheries and Oceans Canada. Scientists recently told the Pacific Salmon Commission that despite the work all summer to capture and move thousands of fish above the big bar landslide site on the Fraser River, there is a meaningful chance of extinction for three salmon runs. When you're looking at three species of, of fish right there in those runs, nearly at extinction level or at extinction level, and that's devastating for the future generations here on the river. The threatened runs include the early Stewart sockeye, the mid-freezer and upper-freezer spring Chinook populations. This summer, one native elder warned that the stress of moving fish could cause problems. You know, to be caught in nets below the big bar slide and, and having to be put in, you know, these uh, long line buckets, they must be traumatized. So I guess that's why there's so many of them that are dying. The new report confirms the elders' fears. Out of 21,000 Stuart sockeye who made it past the slide, less than 100 ended up spawning. Work is hoping that now the spawning season is over, the government will get the site opened up. Removing the rock as fast as possible, blowing it up, blasting it out, that's the answer. The government says that's exactly what will happen over the winter months. Both the Departments of National Defence and the Canadian Armed Forces have also been engaged, and a number of experts in the use of explosives and heavy construction continue to be engaged as part of the current project planning process. 
We have to push this. We have to create this, that this is an emergency story, an emergency state to the, to the uh, wild stalks of salmon of the Fraser River. Julia Foy, Global News. Close to 500 Santa lookalikes were spreading holiday cheer and raising money for a good cause in Stanley Park today. This was the inaugural Santa Run in support of the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund. It kicked off in the bright nights in Stanley Park Christmas train area. Participants all received a Santa suit and could walk, run, or jog the 5K around the seawall. Proceeds go to the Child Burn Survivor Program. This really is, it, it enables us as Professional Firefighters Burn Fund to do the programs that we do in supporting our burn survivors across this province. Uh, we're from the Burn Trauma Unit at Vancouver General Hospital, so we're giving back and raising money for a really good cause. It's awesome. It's great to be back. <laughs> it is the day local skiers and boarders wait with anticipation for the opening of another North Shore ski hill. Grouse fired up the lifts this morning. Cypress opened on Friday. Seymour doesn't have snowmaking equipment, so needs a little help from Mother Nature still. That likely means a mid-December opening for them. Grouse has limited operations right now with just a 20-centimeter base. We have our Paradise open via the Greenway chairlift, and we also have our Paradise Terrain Park open with eight features. As we are able to, we'll be opening up more terrain. Our snowmakers are working hard and taking advantage of these cold temperatures, so we expect to have more terrain coming soon. Let's get this holiday season started. And it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in Metro Vancouver with the opening of the Robson Square Ice Rink today. It's the 11th season for outdoor skating in the heart of the city, and it's popular. An estimated 120,000 people visit the rink each year. It's free and open to the public until the end of February. But skaters are encouraged to make a donation to the BC Children's Hospital Foundation. As we know, it is a festive season. And uh, we, uh, it is all about giving, and uh, we encourage people when they are renting their skates to make a donation to their very noble cause. We are learning more tonight about the man police say went on a deadly stabbing rampage on London Bridge and the heroes who rushed in to help save lives. And tonight, new video of the, of the attack itself. Tonight, new video of the deadly London Bridge terror attack. Bravery on full display as bystanders armed with a fire extinguisher and a narwhal tusk reportedly pulled from the wall of the nearby Fishmonger Hall together take down the terrorist who'd killed two. One identified tonight by several British media outlets is 25-year-old Jack Merritt, a former Cambridge student killed during the attack by 28-year-old Usman Khan, according to police. Here he is speaking to the BBC in 2008 after his home raided by counter-terrorism police. He will know I ain't no terrorist. He's later convicted of being just that. 2012, convicted of plotting to bomb the U.S. Embassy and the London Stock Exchange. He was released early, monitored by electronic tag. He'd served half of his sentence. He was out on automatic early release. And I have long said that this system simply isn't working. Now we're hearing from the heroes who helped stop the deadly rampage. He was, you know, wielding two knives. One was sort of duct taped to his hand. Thomas Gray says when he saw the attack, he jumped out of his car to help. Kind of tried to stamp as hard as I could on his wrist. And then someone sort of kicked the knife away. We were told that he had a bomb vest on, um, so we kind of cleared house. Police shots fired, killing Khan. A hoax bomb strapped to his chest. 
The attack happened at nearby Fishmonger Hall. Khan was there attending a conference about prisoner rehabilitation. Hours later, stabbing five, killing two. Police say a 35-year-old homeless man has been arrested in connection with a stabbing spree in the Netherlands. Three minors are being treated in hospital for minor injuries. It happened outside a Hudson's Bay store on a busy shopping street in the Dutch city of The Hague. Police said in a statement that the victims and the suspect did not know each other. So far, they haven't released details on a possible motive. North Korea has issued a threat to Japan following suspected missile tests this week. The North Korean state news agency slammed Japan's condemnations of the launches, warning Japan may see what a real ballistic missile is in the not-too-distant future. The statement also hurled insults at Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, calling him a perfect imbecile and a political dwarf. The North launched two projectiles into the Sea of Japan Thursday, testing what Pyongyang calls a super-large multiple rocket launcher. Peaceful protests in Hong Kong today, a day after police ended a nearly two-week standoff at a university campus. Older Hong Kong residents stood side by side with young demonstrators at this park to keep up the pressure on Hong Kong's government. But there were tensions in other parts of the city where riot police faced off with protesters who set up roadblocks and set fires outside the entrances to subway stations. Still, it was a stark comparison to the scenes of violence at Hong Kong Polytechnic University in recent weeks. For 13 days, police engaged in fierce clashes with protesters holed up inside. By the time it came to an end on Friday, more than 1,100 people had been arrested. A frightening moment for some people in Texas when a Ferris wheel came apart. As you just saw, a metal beam attached to the ride came crashing down as people walked below. Witnesses shot the video as they watched in horror. They say the beam came close to hitting a person. All passengers were safely, safely taken off the ride. The Ferris wheel was immediately shut down. So far, no injuries have been reported. In Health Matters tonight, a group of high school students in Surrey have been given a first-hand look at what it's like to work in a medical profession, including how to deliver a baby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a baby deliver. While that delivery looked quite real, it's only a simulation, part of the first ever mini-med school at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Close to 80 students were given a chance to learn about healthcare careers and volunteer opportunities from some of Surrey's top physicians and technicians. The teens were given a number of hands-on experiences. Right from a CPR and a code blue uh, experience uh, to birthing a baby uh, and looking at virtual reality as a tool, which is used as a distraction tool, actually, in the... Uh this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. ER. Wicked weather south of the border today. We're going to show you the destructive force of Mother Nature right after the forecast. And Kasha is in tonight for Yvonne. Mm -hmm. Nice to see you. 
Hello, nice to see you too, and a good evening to you at home. Good times are had behind me right here at Jackpool Plaza, taking a look at the Vancouver Christmas market. Don't we want to go if you decide to head? Dress warmly. Overnight lows of minus five. Feeling much colder with the winds. It's going to feel about closer to about minus 10. Uh, meanwhile, those in the interior, you're saying that's nothing. Some of you felt like the minus 20s today. But here's a look at the overnight lows that we have for you. No wonder Mother Nature has been putting on spectacles with the frost. This brought to us by Dave at Bridge Lake. He says it's essentially ice flowers here on the lake. Uh, and if you missed today's sunrise, look at that. What a gorgeous one it was. Thank you to Corey for reminding us what a beautiful morning it was. Tomorrow's going to look a little different for us. Uh, and then we did see that increase in cloudiness into the afternoon. Thank you to Debbie to show us uh, for showing us Chilliwack. It sure feels like winter. We've got 22 days until winter, but we get a taste of it tomorrow. Very likely with the system that is moving in from the south. Still a contentious issue with all of the models. Some models are still suggesting showers, some nothing at all. But this one in particular is putting us in some flurries. So we're going to say it's a slight chance of flurries tomorrow afternoon and in the evening, as you can see here, based on this one uh, for Metro Vancouver. But it's certainly imminent for you in the Okanagan uh, southern interior sections. You're going to be picking up two to four centimeters of snow tomorrow night on your Sunday and also some flurries in the afternoon. So here's a look at the next three for you in the BC piece. A chance of flurries for northern sections tomorrow. A sun cloud mix. It's going to be a windy one and cold. It's been cold for a long time over here. It starts to warm up for you a little bit on your your Monday. White horse, mostly cloudy skies, light snow, late Sunday afternoon. Uh, your daytime high is going to be minus two and up to the freezing mark come Monday with a chance of flurries, but it's going to be a gusty one with that. It becomes a little bit messy for you along the north coast tonight. We're looking at a rain-snow mix, changing over to snow through the overnight, changing back to showers for the morning, and then it's going to be a windy one, both tomorrow and the following day. So just a heads up over here. Caribou in the central interior looking beautiful. Plenty of sunshine, but it's cold. Wind chill value of minus 26 through the overnight and tomorrow. It's going to feel much colder than your daytime high of minus 11. Columbia and the Kootenai region is going to be seeing increasing cloudiness, also a chance of afternoon flurries. Same for your Monday and a similar plan for you in the Thompson Okanagan. So here we do have that chance of flurries, but later into the evening, it's that two to four centimeters of snow that we really want to watch out for. So I would avoid the major routes. Tonight, roads are still crystal clear at higher elevations, minus three in Whistler, a sun cloud mix tomorrow. It's going to be a beauty of a day. Now for Vancouver Island, we're giving you that risk of a rain snow mix as well mostly cloudy sky and the chance is there of that rain snow mix so have a look at the next five for you in metro vancouver again we've been talking about that chance of flurries on your sunday and then it's going to be a very unsettled next few days to follow colleen all right thanks so much kesha Meanwhile, deadly weather is slamming much of the U.S. right now. Tens of millions of people are being hit with gusting winds, flash floods, even tornadoes. Airports are canceling flights by the thousands. Tonight, powerful storms creating chaos for post-Thanksgiving travelers as snow, heavy rain, and strong winds barrel across the country. In Colorado, hurricane-force wind gusts whipping snow in all directions, creating whiteout conditions. These winds are really whipping through here. Tough even for this meteorologist to stand and dangerous for those daring to drive on the roads. In Arizona, a massive pileup on the interstate with trucks stuck for hours. 
and a snowy Grand Canyon town declared a state of emergency with no power, stranding a thousand tourists. Usually you'd be able to see the canyon right there. Tornadoes even touched down in Phoenix, and floodwaters turned deadly in nearby Gila County. An RV got swept into this creek. Only six people made it out alive as water quickly submerged the vehicle. Crews recovered the bodies of two children, and search operations continue for the third missing child. In San Diego, another dramatic rescue after a minivan got stuck in rising waters. Snow being blamed for tricky travel in Southern California. Severe weather also slamming South Dakota, killing at least one person. And Minnesota could see several inches of snow by tonight. Weekend travelers are already hitting major problems in the air with thousands of flight delays and hundreds of cancellations. The National Weather Service warning that travel could become impossible in some spots. We're feeling a little lucky and we're glad that we scheduled ahead of time so that we are ahead of the storm. A slowdown for millions as the next round of storms head east. Not sure what the weather in Russia is like, but uh, have a look. This is definitely not a chair you'd find at any IKEA store. It is stuffed with $1 million cash. The art installation at Moscow's art residence is made of two and a half inch layers of bulletproof glass. Not sure why. Just to be on the safe side, I guess. The Exton Money Throne was on display to the public under tight security, as you can imagine. Creators say they wanted to give people the to f let people feel the energy of money and to inspire them to earn more. Does money have an energy uh, to it? Wow. I guess if, you got, if you're sitting on a million bucks, it would. Through a bulletproof glass, I don't, don't, don't see so a lot unattainable. Of, I don't still. see a lot of spirituality there. No, <laughs> no, I don't either. Myself, no. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I feel tall. I can't get my chair to go down. I'm not seven That's foot. Okay. I'm not, I'm not we'll six foot eight anymore. There you are. <laughs> Uh, what do we got coming up? Canucks are almost home. Oh. They've been on, uh, Santa Claus is not going to go this many miles <laughs> in December. They've uh, been all over uh, North America. They're in Edmonton tonight, uh, playing the sixth game of the six-game road trip, so we'll tee that up. And big high school football day at BC Place, all the championship games. We've got some early highlights of that, too. Looking forward okay. to it. All right, thanks, Barry. Barry's here with Sports. How long have the Canucks been on the road? I think they've been, it uh, feels like 11 days. Oof. I mean, the, Either you're doing a laundry day or you're packing a, a real big bag. No kidding. You know, like just the simple rule, that means at least 11, 11 pairs, you know. <laughs> anyway, that's a lot. All right, enough of that. Let's talk hockey. The uh, Canucks six-game road trip uh, comes to an end tonight in Edmonton. Vancouver's 2-3 and three so far, although they should be at least 3-2 and two after blowing that uh, three-goal third-period lead in Pittsburgh Wednesday. Jacob Markstrom will start tonight. Same two teams meet again tomorrow at Rogers Arena, so it's kind of like a seven-game road trip. Oilers continue to lead the Pacific with 35 points, seven more than the Canucks, who have officially slipped out of a playoff spot in the West. Well, it has been an emotional week in Calgary with Bill Peters stepping down as head coach after he admitted to yelling racial slurs at former player Akeem Alou back in 2010. There were also allegations against Peters of physical abuse of players. Peters stepped down before he was going to be fired, and rightfully so. It's opened up a lot of conversation, at least, about coach-player relationships in the NHL and what is acceptable. So perhaps some good coming out of what's been a bad situation. Flames at home tonight versus Ottawa. Jeff Ward named the interim 
head coach of the Flames, has never been an NHL head coach before. First period, Dylan Dubé is going to score off the faceoff. The former Kelowna Rocket, Golden BC native with his second of the year, makes it 1-0 Flames. Stayed that way until the third, just uh, over five minutes left. Jean-Gabriel Pajot with the wrister goal. Ties it up 1-1. But just a minute after that, Elias Lindholm. Look at that play going in and roofing it. Great goal. I was the game winner. Just finished. Flames with the 3-1 win over Ottawa. Sabres and Leafs. Toronto 3-1 under their new head coach, Sheldon Keith. Coaching his first home game tonight. Or actually, we got Flyers-Habs here first. Let's do that. Shea Weber and the Habs in a miserable slump. Six straight losses. 20 goals allowed in their last three. They did lead 2-1, but Kevin Hayes fired past Keith Kincaid. Ties it 2-2 after two. Third period, Flyers take the lead. Nice three-way pass play. Finished off by Travis Konechny. 3-2 Philly. Habs answer back, though. Two minutes later on the power play, Nick Suzuki. Great young rookie finds Thomas Tatar, who scores his ninth of the year to tie it at three. They need overtime, and just 31 seconds in, defenseman Ivan Provorov with the move on Max Domi, who is definitely not a defenseman. What a finish by Provorov. Flyers add to the Habs' misery. 4-3 the final. Canadians have now lost seven in a row. All right, now we're going to see the Sabres and the Leafs. There's Sheldon Keith, 3-1 so far, coaching his first home game tonight. Second period, William Nylander, strong move to the net, beats Carter Hutton. It's a power play goal, 1-0 for Toronto. Sabres had a chance to tie it. Connor Sheary with a one-timer here. How does that not go in? What a great glove save by Freddie Anderson. Now, they reviewed this. It was close if Anderson's glove was inside the net when he caught the puck, but they say no goal after the review, so the save stands, and the fans like that. But Buffalo has tied it. Rasmus Ristolainen going in. Very similar goal to the Nylander goal. Ties it at one, and that's where they stand very late in the third in Toronto. Vancouver Warriors began their 2019-20 NLL lacrosse season last night at home to Calgary. Dane Doby, the NLL MVP last year, gives Calgary the 1-0 lead. And Calgary had a good start in this one. Ryan Martell will score to make it 3-0. They were up 4-0 when the Warriors finally get one. Keegan Ball with the uh, slick behind-the-back goal. Those are always pretty to watch in lacrosse. That made it 4-1, but too much Dane Doby in this one. He gets another one here. That made it 5-2, Calgary in the first. And uh, these two are rivals. This happens in lacrosse once in a while. Logan Schuss and Zach Curry are going at it. Warriors fall, though, 12-7 in their season opener. Welcome back. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool is turning a lot of heads right now. He's having a breakout season as wide receiver for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, perhaps the most storied school in U.S. college football. Claypool is in his senior year and has become the favorite target in the Irish offense. He is huge, 6'4", 230. He's athletic, and he catches everything. He's up to 10 touchdowns this year, and his NFL stock has risen dramatically, starting as a late-round projection at the start of this year. He could perhaps go in the first couple of rounds of the NFL draft. Claypool and the Irish taking on Stanford today in Northern California. Late first half, Irish quarterback Ian Book going deep for Chase Claypool, who makes another fantastic signature catch. He elevates and comes down with it in the end zone for the touchdown. Irish take a 21-17 lead into halftime, and then in the third quarter, 
Notre Dame on the move again. Book finds Claypool one more time over the middle. Second touchdown of the game for Chase. That's his 12th TD of the season. He is just money in the red zone. Those 12 touchdowns have him in the top 10 in all of the NCAA for most TDs this season. Irish go to 10-2 after the 45-24 win. He still has a bowl game to play in the holiday season and then get ready for the NFL draft. So exciting times right now for uh, Abbotsford's Chase Claypool. BC High School football championship Saturday from BC Place. This is the AA senior varsity final between Langley and Vernon. Panthers in black get on the board first. Zach Smith at quarterback, 27 yards to Trent Charlton, 7-0 Vernon. Langley answer, though, Kai Thomas. 74-yard touchdown run for the Saints. Ties it up 7-7. Lots of offense early in this one. Second quarter, back comes Vernon. Zach Smith with another TD pass to Trent Charlton. That made it 13-7. Vernon, Langley went ahead on a short touchdown run, but Vernon come right back. This time, Zach Smith's going to run it in himself. 22-14 at the half, and this has just gone final. Vernon wins the junior or senior varsity AA championship 43-14. Earlier today, a couple of uh, JV championship games. Windsor out of North Van beats Bellinas from Parksville in the AA junior varsity title game 25-14. And then Mount Douglas beat Lord Tweedsmer in the AAA JV game 41-21. Later tonight at 7, Lord Tweedsmer and Van College for the AAA senior varsity championship. We'll have highlights at 11. The Seahawks are still in the hunt for the NFC West title. The 49ers have a tough game in Baltimore tomorrow while Seattle hosts Minnesota on Monday Night Football. The Hawks could find themselves in first if they win and the Niners lose. It's the old switcheroo. Just like the red zone, Chanel's taking a knee this week while we make way for one they call Strassel. So last week on the Red Zone, we talked about the Seahawks' defense not being so great in 2019. Outscoring opponents is how they have been getting it done all year. That is, until this past Sunday in Philadelphia. The defense won that game. They got five takeaways and were in Carson Wentz's face all day. The offense dropped a sure touchdown pass and missed a wide-open receiver on another, but managed to cobble together 17 points. The Seahawks' defense have allowed a combined two touchdowns and four field goals in the last two games. When running back Chris Carson is on pace to run for a second straight 1,000-yard season, it can be a little hard to get in the game. But when Rashad Penny got his chance, he sure did make the most of it. Penny ran for 129 yards, including a 58-yard fourth-quarter touchdown. Having two great running backs is a great problem to have, along with a quarterback who can hurt teams with his feet. All of this is going to come in handy this week. If the playoffs started today, the Vikings and the Seahawks would be the two wildcard teams coming out of the NFC. Luckily for us, we're getting a preview in Week 13. The Vikings had a bye last week and will be coming in well-rested. Viking quarterback Kirk Cousins is having a career year and getting better as the season progresses. He's thrown 21 touchdowns versus only three interceptions. In his second season with the Vikings, Cousins is living up to the hype after coming from Washington in 2018. With division rival Green Bay losing in San Francisco last week, the Vikings' path to the NFC North title is entirely under their control. And this starts on Monday Night Football at CenturyLink Field. The Seahawks have beaten them five straight times, 
and haven't lost to the Vikings at home since 2006. Seahawks open as three-point favorites with 49 total points. Expect this to be a close one. All right, thanks, Strassel. English Premiership, Brighton hoping to hand Liverpool its first league loss of the season. Didn't happen. 18th minute off the free kick, Virgil van Dijk with the header. 1-0 Liverpool, six minutes later. Bit of a replay here off the corner. Van Dijk one more time, heading it in. That guy can elevate. 2-0, 2-1 the final. Liverpool still undefeated. 13-0-1, running away from the pack. Man City drew their match today, so they're now 11 points out of first place. Bournemouth facing Tottenham. The referee is Second game for Jose Mourinho, head coach for Spurs. And now two for two. Son Hung Min lays it off for Delhi Ali to make it 1-0. And then the second half, another long ball for Ali, who makes a tremendous play to bring this one down and then walks around the keeper and knocks it in. Great goal by Delhi Ali. 2-0 Spurs. And they got more to come in the 69th minute. Musa Sissoko with a brilliant finish. Look how high he gets here with the leg. The scissor kick into the net there. 3-0 at that point. They did give up a couple of late ones, but Spurs win 3-2. 2-0 under Mourinho, and they move to fifth on the table. Nice. All right. Thanks, Craig. This is your snow report for today with many of our ski hills now open. Whistler Blackcomb has a snow base of 27 centimeters. Grouse has 20. Revelstoke has 85 centimeters of snow on the ground, 32 centimeters at Fernie. Big White has 70. Silver Star 85, 64 centimeters at Sun Peaks. Apex is... December the 7th, Powder King has a whopping 150 centimeters of snow on the ground. Whitewater will be opening next weekend. Breaking news out of Coquitlam, where an RCMP officer has been injured in a multi-vehicle accident. It happened at Lowheat and Westwood late this afternoon. The four-car pileup included the police cruiser. Five people were sent to hospital, including the Mountie, all with non-life-threatening injuries. Not many details at this point, but we do know it was not a hit and run, although police are looking into the possibility that drunk driving was involved. We'll have a full update for you later on BC One and, of course, tonight on NewsHour Final. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is just crazy. Mm-hmm. We've been hearing a lot of grumbling about cold temperatures right now, but one group of folks doesn't seem to mind. Have a look. Oh my goodness. Hundreds of UBC students marked the last day of classes before Christmas break with this chilly tradition yesterday afternoon. Whoa. These brave students jumped into the icy waters off Wreck Beach for the school's annual polar bear swim. UBC sharing this video saying the sun came out and the temperature dropped just in time. Oh, Yay, but they're cold. out of school. Yeah. Right? And I, so they're just yeah. enjoying themselves. I will say drinking their warm that buddies. it does take a lot of courage to do that. Yeah. But if you're on the prairies... More courage. More courage. Even more It was cold in the ocean, Yes, but it can be colder in the (laughs) prairie. Oh, goodness. I've seen those. I've never done them. No idea how much time we have left left in the show, but we're going to (laughs) say good night. Bye-bye. Good night. (laughs) 